Hey everybody and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm recording the intro for this episode in New York City. I'm here to speak at my friend Gabby Bernstein's Spirit Junkie Masterclass. And if you're not signed up for my newsletters, go sign up at christinehassler.com because Gabby's about to launch her training videos for her Spirit Junkie Masterclass online course. And you don't want to miss those because I'm offering some special bonuses and since I'm speaking at this year's masterclass, I'm actually going to be part of the course. So stay tuned for that. I'm also going to have Gabby on Coach's Corner in the upcoming weeks. Also, just a reminder that my masterclass coaching training is about to sell out. So grab your spot June 30th and July 1st. Go to christinehassler.com slash coach training for more information on that. I'm teaching you how to be profitable and masterful at building a business in the entrepreneurial wellness space. So coaches, trainers, therapists, want to be facilitators, wherever you are, if you have a desire to impact others and be profitable at it so you can leave that pay your bills job, you're not going to want to miss this. I don't know when I'm doing another one. I've had a lot of you reach out and go, oh, this one, I don't know, uh, time, money, I don't know. I'll go to the next one. Well, I don't know when and where there's going to be a next one. So come to this one. Also, doing a workshop in London on July 21st. It's going to be a one-day retreat open to men and women. I rarely come to London, so this is your opportunity to catch me there. It's christinehatzler.com slash London. And this day is going to be, it's it's basically my three-day retreat, and we're going to spend the day getting over it and on with it. So you're going to pick one thing that you want to let go of, one thing you want to release, one thing you finally want to be done with, whether it's getting over an ex or getting over overwhelm or getting over an issue that you haven't been able to get over or getting over confusion, whatever it is. And then you're going to pick one thing you want to get on with, something that's really important to you. And it's going to be a mix of meditation, experiential processes, my coaching, and there's going to be an hour of yoga. So it's going to be a really full, amazing day. christinehassercom slash London. And again, it's limited spacing. So grab your spot soon. He's Australian and you know how I love Australian. So just that alone makes him awesome. But he's so much more than Australian. He is an incredibly motivated and inspiring entrepreneur. And today we talk about success and not just success in terms of checking off boxes, but what does true and lasting success mean and how do we determine what it means to us? Joel takes us through a very powerful visioning process, a step-by-step on getting clear on your vision. So grab your journal for that because you're going to want to take notes. A little bit more about Joel. He built Addicted to Success from scratch to be the number one motivation site in the world with over 100 million views and over 50 million unique website views from his worldwide audience. Joel has insights and analytics on personal development like no other. His Addicted to Success podcast, which I was recently interviewed on, has reached over 1.2 million podcast plays and downloads to date and his social media following is over 2 million. Joel is making his mark on the world through his online and offline contributions, recently raising over 50,000 in two weeks with his addicted to success community to build a school with pencils of promise for children living in poverty. You can learn more about addicted to success at addicted to, and that's the number two success.com. And now on to my awesome conversation with my friend, Joel Brown. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Christine, thanks a million for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to dive into all kinds of things with you, but I wanted to start with talking about purpose because so many of the callers on this show, they're questioning their career. They feel lost. They're really asking, what is my purpose? 
or I know my purpose, but I can't seem to take action or I'm taking action, but then I sabotage myself. And what it all usually comes back to is something around vision, not having a clear vision, not being connected enough to their vision, not having a a really crystal clear why for their vision. And I know that you are someone who has lived this, has really walked discovering your passion and having a vision, and you're excellent at teaching it. So help us really understand that question of what is my purpose and then how vision connects to that. Oh, this is such a loaded question, Christine. The first one you can ask me, what, how do I find my purpose? I know. <laughs> so well, playing, I mean, I can ask you where you're from, obviously, Australia. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I love being challenged and thank you for going there. Yeah, look, purpose. I mean, it's such a big question, right? Like as a coach, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same thing is when someone's like, hey, how do I find my purpose? It's kind of cringy, but at the same time, you know that like to to, to support someone in that journey is going to be so powerful. Uh, and so it, it definitely requires attention and, and in a good way because purpose is a, is a pretty serious business. It's, it's a real deal, right? And that is that what am I really here to do? Okay. What is your mission? What is that thing you, you, you know, can't wait to wake up in the morning to jump out of bed for and, and just get like, I get frustrated when I have to go to sleep. I wish that I had even more energy in my day to, to continue to work on my purpose. And so uh, I wasn't always like that, right? But there was a day where I was sitting in a room uh, in a sales conference workshop. And this was a good eight and a half years ago. And standing before me was a guy by the name of Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street. Hmm. Uh, and this isn't Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way. This is the original <laughs> the, Wolf the of original. Wall Street. The OG. Right? <laughs> Don't get it mixed up. <laughs> and, and, you know, he challenged me for the first time in my life to cast a 10-year vision. Hmm. He said, if you've got goals, Joel, we could think even bigger and step into a 10-year vision. He said, goals are good for short-term achievements, but a vision is for long-term success. And that really was an attractive thing for me. You know, I was in high school. I experienced bullying throughout high school. Uh, I wasn't uh, focused on my schoolwork, and I essentially ended up leaving high school and going off and following what I felt at the time was my passion, mm. which was music. Uh, and so for someone to come and challenge me in a different way, rather than just writing goals down, which felt like schoolwork to me, uh, he said, let's like write it something that you can get really excited about. And what would the ultimate version of you look like 10 years from now? How would that feel? What would the detail be like? Where would you be located? What things would you have in your life? What kind of people would you surround yourself with? And this to me was like this new revelation. It was so exciting for me. And he asked these three really important questions that really uh, inspired me and helped me to really map out and, and, uh, and really pinpoint that thing that fired me up. And he asked me, what are you good at? All right. That's the first question. The second question is, what do you love? And the third question is, what solution will you bring to the world? Not mm. do you want to bring, will you, right? Starting to speak in like, like it's about to come, right? And then when I mapped out my vision that day, he had me write it in present tense as if I was already there. And something happened to me that day when I was writing in the beginning, and I teach this process as well in my own way now, because I've, I've, I've fine-tuned it over the last eight years and, and hundreds of my clients have had amazing results with it. Uh, but, but what happens is initially you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's like, where do I start? It's kind of like writing a book. I know you wrote a book 
Christine. And it's like, where do I start? Right. But once you start getting some structure and writing things out and getting out of your head, it now starts to make sense. So I was writing out bullet points and, and starting to lay it all out. And as I was writing more and more, I started to feel within my body this excitement mm. because I was focusing on what I was good at. I was focusing on what I really loved. And then the, the question of what solution will you bring to the world, that excited me even more because I started to focus on what kind of value can I offer the world? And then when I mapped it all out in front of me, I, I connected the dots and, and saw the bigger picture of it all. And, and you know, we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle for the picture just yet, but we get to create it and we get to move through life with more conviction, with more discipline. That's what I love about a vision is it disciplines you. It chooses your friends for you. It teaches you what to say yes to and what to say no to. Mm. And I've been, I've been distracted or there was a, a, attempts at distracting me, I would like to say, <laughs> along the way where uh, one of them in particular, a guy came to me, well-respected in the space that we're in, great guy, still love him to this day, nothing's, nothing's wrong there, but he came to me and asked me if I wanted to go in a partnership with him with a six-figure deal, which has sounded enticing at the time uh, to, to break off a 50-50% um, uh, business partnership to promote products and things of that nature, but I had to check in on my vision right? I was very much so like aligned in my vision. And I looked and I realized the values that I had put in my vision, I had my top three values. They did not align with his top values. Wow. And so I saw that as that sounds like a, it sounds good, but even though it sounds good, it doesn't mean it's the right thing. There's a difference between a good thing and a right thing. And so like I would have gone down a very different path if I had taken that because my year, that year would have been consumed with different things. Instead, I continued down my path in my vision and what popped up as a little side door along the way was that I got invited to speak uh, uh, and feature in a film called Think and Grow Rich. Hmm. And, I, and I actually, it's funny when I looked at it, I wasn't going to be there if I had taken this deal with this guy. I wasn't going to be able to be there. Instead, it was replaced with an even greater opportunity. Wow. And that's because of my vision. It's amazing. Wow. I, gosh, there are so many things that I'd love to unpack. One of my favorites was when you said there's a difference between a good thing and a right thing. Mm -hmm. And I know that people probably know what that means. And the question they may have in the, their brain is, how do I know the difference? So how do you, how do you distinguish? Cause you have a clear, you know, you're pretty clear in your vision now, so it's probably yeah. easier, but for so many people, it's fuzzy. They might not even be able to answer those questions. You know, what do you love? What are you good at? What solution you will bring to the world? Um, so I want to go back to those questions in a second. But the first is, how do you distinguish between good and right? Yeah, well, I'm in hopes that when I answer this, that most that are listening right now, or if you're listening, that I know sometimes when you hear information, you go, yeah, 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 I know that. But then you still live it in your life. And that's like your journey. You have to experience it and realize that the things you'd heard were great advice. You just didn't take it on. And so I've done the same thing. I've gone, yeah, I get that. I get that. And hadn't, and I had to live it out and go, okay, now I get why people say that. But what I'm going to share with you is that there's, there's a difference, right? Between short term fulfillment and long term success. Right. And, and sometimes you have opportunities that show up where it seems like it's going to be like, it's going to feel great for that moment. Uh, and we get so blindsided by it, it becomes that shiny object and you can take that on and that's well and good, but if it you, you doesn't align with your vision for long-term success, it's not a good idea. Mm. And I know that because I've lived it earlier on in the first few years, I was taking things that were short-termers, 
short-term opportunities thinking that were great and then realized they were actually delaying me from living in my 10-year vision sooner. Well, and I think we do that a lot out of fear too, because I know there's been many times where something good has come along and there was uncertainty in terms of my vision and what was going to come for that. Like in the beginning of my career or different chapters of my life, you know, there were a lot of good shiny objects in front of me or options in front of me. And there weren't sort of other things coming along that felt really right. So it's also, I think, having the the faith to really stand in the in-between and be able to say no to good, because I think we can say yes to good out of fear. Do you see that happen a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you think that like another opportunity isn't going to come along and it's just so mm-hmm. not true. When you're in your, when you're in alignment with your vision and you're on a mission, it does. Yeah. Like I don't know. There's something about someone that walks into a room and that just beelines and goes up and shakes your hand and says, Hey, with a big smile on their face, I'm, you know, so-and-so and it's great to meet you. There's something about that person. It's so admirable. I feel, and for what I understand my, even my students agree on is the fact that like someone is so confident in the way that they walk, that it's like kind of like they've walked this earth before. There's something admirable about that. Cause I feel so many people don't have that self-confidence in play just yet. They're still struggling with their own self-esteem and self-confidence. And what I have learned is the vision really helped me to increase my confidence in the direction that I was heading. I still know that I don't 110% know everything and you have to sprinkle it with a little bit of faith for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in God and I, I pray on my vision. It's uh, I'm in relationship with God. And so uh, it's like if you were in a relationship with someone and you just went out and bought a car and then brought it home, it's going to be an interesting conversation when you get home, right? It's like you make decisions together. And so I pray when I update my vision, I pray on it and be like, God, guide me. Is this the right thing? And, and you know, you get better at that voice and you get better at, uh, you know, the, the, the guidance that he's giving, you get better at filling into it. And so all I can say has become more and more powerful over the years, not only because I've mapped it out in a more powerful way, but because I've gotten a better idea of how to play the game of living in the vision. Mm, mm. And sometimes it feels like you're making a sacrifice, but it actually becomes a setup for better success. I love that. Yeah. And and a sacrifice and you're in that fear place of, oh gosh, should I just pass up a good opportunity? Uh, yeah. but, but you have to remember that in that, in that gripping on the thing that feels safe and secure in the moment, you may be settling and you may be sacrificing mm-hmm. on your vision. But let's, yeah. let's back up a little bit. Can you coach us through these three questions a little bit? Because for a lot of people, the answers to those may not be obvious. So yeah. what are you good at? Okay. So the good at part, and I can share with you what I'm good at, and then I'll help you to identify what you're good at too. Uh, at the time when I was asked this question, I identified my top values in life. Okay. So write this down. If you've got a pen or a pad, I want you to write these these questions down. It's going to help you to identify what you value most. Now, the word values comes from the word evaluate. When someone asks you, hey, do you want to go and do this? Or do you want to buy this or or go to that? You, you In a split second of thinking in your mind, your mind's evaluating on whether, whether or not that is a priority for you. Okay. And so we often fill our days uh, with our top values, right? We spend most of our time, most of our money. We love talking to other people about, we love reading books on things that we value most. Okay. So they should leave some clues. I have this one that's kind of extreme when someone's really struggling with at least finding their top value. And I'd ask them if someone had a gun to your head and they said, you have to write a book on a topic within the next three months, which book do you feel confidently you could write about right? within three months? 
Uh, and so that would help them to identify their values. My values at that time were business, self-development, and contribution. Mm. And so if you have a look at Addicted to Success, which is the, you know, the website, the company that I've created, the reason why we're so successful with that media company is because it is surrounded by business, self-development, and contribution. And so your values are like a, a torch that's lit from within. Okay. You're inspired from within. You're not looking for that external motivation to light you up. You're not looking for motivation. This is inspiration. This is you in spirit. Mm. So, so, and that's, that's the true torch. That's the flame. I know on the podcast episode we did, Christine, you were saying that passion actually meant uh, suffering. And I love that. It's such a great revelation. And I, I love that you shared that uh, because the question then is, what are you willing to suffer most? Mm-hmm. Like if someone said, you've got to do this for you know the rest of your life, which thing in life would you choose to suffer with the most? Knowing that at the end of the day, even if you suffer with it, you know that there's, there's still that, like you've got your heart in it. And uh, it, it may be a morbid way of looking at it, but that essentially is what you're passionate about and what, you're, what, you, what you really love. The good at part uh, is really important because if you're not uh, good at something, then you're often going to feel like the feedback that you're getting back is not a lack of progress. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so sometimes you've got to give a little bit of leeway if you're getting into something. It takes a little while to find your feet and to get the ball rolling. And you may have to acquire or acquire or hire some skills to learn how to really become good at something. Uh, but if you feel like you've given it a fair crack and the wheels are really spinning, then I'd say that good at thing is only going to get better. Like I love what I do now. I have so much fun in creation because I'm a better speaker than I was eight years ago. Right. Like I love it. I can't wait to get up on stage and know I'm going to rock it because I've done it that many times and fine tune my speaking skills to the point where like now we get to create and really have a laugh. You know, mm. we can get up and crack jokes and, and, and I'm not attached to it having to be perfect. Mm. So that's. Mm. So what I love about the, what you're good at is that you don't have to be exceptional or expert at it, (laughs) right? It just has to be Mm -hmm. something that you have a little bit of a a natural gift inclination for, and that you'd be willing to, like you said, suffer or sacrifice to do it. Like it's that important to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then the next one is what do you love? I think I answered it before Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I went into the passion and the suffering. I, yeah. yeah. I got really excited. I got really passionate about that one. Eh, Christine? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then what the solution third. will you bring to the world? Mm. So the solution you'll bring to the world, this is really important because the value that we find that we can deliver to the world gives our life meaning. Mm-hmm. Okay. And usually the solution falls within what problem nags at you the most. I have a number of friends that are successful entrepreneurs in the uh, contribution space, other humanitarians, and they uh, help with uh, charities and foundations. And over and over again, whenever I talk with them or, or interview them, I'd find that the reason why they started their company is because they were questioning why nobody else was like solving this problem. Mm-hmm. And they realized that they could be the solution. So that's a good place to definitely start. Uh, if you don't know for sure what this what uh, a place is that you'd want to start with solutions, start volunteering and offering a time and doing research. Mm, okay, and if that. you can bring those components in, and it's important because some people feel like, well, I can't give much because I'm just starting. Find a way because when you have a purpose element to it, it's such a great combination between what you're good at, what you love, and what solution you'll bring to the world. It absolutely fills your cup. 
because you know that you're creating something of value in this world and and playing a part of the bigger picture of what's really going on here. You yeah. know, like you're not just an individual that's all about taking and for yourself. You're actually playing a part of the, the goings on in life. Uh, mm. so, so the fourth thing that I would add in, uh, and this isn't something that Jordan uh, asked me. This is something that I found along the way. Uh, I would say that the fourth question would be, how would you be able to make money from this? And I know the money conversation can often be like the elephant in the room. People don't really want to talk about it. And, oh, am I worthy of it? No. It's important to make money in what you do because the more you do make, the more you can invest to be able to build that out, to have more reach and more impact. Uh, and so then have a look at some avenues, do some research. How have other people been able to make money in a similar space to you? Mm. Mm. you know, what are you creating? What solution are you creating that will be of value to the world? And, and how much are you willing to charge for it? What would you need to do to bump it up to a price that you uh, are aiming for that's in your vision. So that's where I would start. I think that's a really important question, especially for women, because we can sometimes lean into the solution and value and giving. And that question, how are you going to make money at it, is very important to not only ask, but to know that, that you can, that doing something you love can also make you money. I think I see a yeah. lot of people think they have to suffer <laughs> and do something they hate or work really, really hard. And don't get me wrong. I've worked, I've worked hard, but I've worked intentionally because like you, for a while, I've had a vision and my vision really started from that third question. What solution will you bring to the world? Because my whole career started when I wrote my first book, 20 something, 20 everything, which was my solution to being a 20 something year old woman, having a quarter life crisis and reading the book quarter life crisis, which was a valuable book, but it was just more about how you get the career and the relationship. It was more about the external stuff. And there wasn't yeah. a book on how to navigate your twenties, like from the inside out and like all the, all the emotional and psychological stuff. So I, I wrote it <laughs> and that, right. that was really how I, how I began I want to get a little more personal with you on your journey because people listening may be like, oh, well, he was in a room with the Wolf of Wall Street, like, you know, easy for him. <laughs> but your life, it wasn't all teed up for you like that. Can you, can you share a little bit more about your journey and how you and even ended up in that room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know how far you want to take it back. Uh, I can jump across into a few different spaces. So you can, it, it can create some context. Seven years old. I had a very limitless mindset. Uh, I watched a movie called Space Jam with Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and I was so inspired by that movie. And there was definitely this like nagging question that I had. And I was asking my mom, I, I must have annoyed the hell out of my parents. I used to ask all these questions. And I'd ask mom, mom, what makes Michael Jordan different from all the other basketball players? He looks like the same build and he's the same color and he's similar height. What makes him the best? And mom's like, well, maybe we could get a book on him and we can have a look at it. And so I got this book called Rare Air by Michael Jordan uh, and I studied it. You know, I wanted to play in the in the NBA at seven years old. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember reading the book and I noticed he kept talking a lot about mindset, like the environment. He talked about how, how he would pay uh, other people in the league that were great at things that he wasn't great at just so that he could become better you know, and, and his daily habits and things of that nature. And I, I was like, wow, you can improve yourself. So from a young age, I, I would think quite often 
you can do anything. You can improve yourself. There's like, there's no limits. And I remember my mom giving me a book called uh, 50 ways to make pocket money. And so I would bake, uh, <laughs> it was funny. I'd bake dog biscuits and sell it to friends and family. And then I would go down to the deli or the uh, grocery store and buy mint patties and Toblerone chocolate bars and walk around the neighborhood, knock on the doors and sell it back to the wow. neighbors. Sell it to neighbors at double the price. Cause I learned a little bit about sales. So I started making money from that and buying basketball cards and hustling basketball cards at school. And, and so I just held this real limitless mindset. I, I got into music when I was 13, 14, I started producing music and working with rappers at the time. I was all into hip hop and R&B. And uh, I went through this stage in my life where I got bullied at school and I stopped focusing on school and focused on uh, the adversity that I was facing every day being picked on. And uh, and I got to the point where I got into a really bad fight and uh, ended up going to court and I ended mm. up dropping out of school at in year 11 at 16. Uh, and I, I hit this fork in the road where I decided to be either the victim or the victor. And and uh, I, I didn't like the idea of wallowing in my self-pity. I, I channeled all my energy into music and did really well at that and actually went out and and managed songwriters and producers. And we inked a deal under a subsidiary of Atlantic Records. And at 20 years old, I was uh, managing producers and songwriters in Miami, Florida, working with people like Usher and Nelly and Pitbull and Kelly Rowland and a lot of incredible artists. But there was this knot in my stomach every morning when I wake up. And that was, I remember this line that would echo through my mind every morning. And it was from the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that my mom gave to me when I was 13 years old. And it says, you don't have to work for money. You can make money work for you. And with that money, you can employ and stimulate the economy and create an empire and give back. And so that's when I really understood what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And that to me sounded so exciting rather than playing the background. So I left and everyone thought I was crazy. And I went back to Perth, Western Australia, where I felt most grounded at that time. And I started working for a sales company. And I started reading books on sales and worked my way up the company to the point where I got invited into that meeting with Jordan Belfort. And so that's where it all really began with the vision. But here's what happened next. I'm going to drop in on this because I think it's really important to understand that when you cast that vision and realize what you can create and what is to come, there are definitely going to be some decisions that you have to make that will, that moves the needle because you can't keep doing the same thing. Otherwise, you get you know very similar results or the same results. So I looked at it and thought, I've got to do something dramatic here. I need to do a big swing. And so what I did was I was like, I'm going to look for a job where I can get double the income of what I'm making in a sales job. And that just so happened to be working up north in the deserts of Western Australia as a snake handler. <laughs> <laughs> so I was catching snakes and lizards and kangaroos and doing all that for nine months. But the money I made from that, I put into traveling around the world. I've seen a third of the world already. And I, you know, I, I put money into mentorship. I paid for mentors like Martini and Les Brown and, uh, you know, worked with a lot of incredible people over the years and went to a lot of courses and invested money back into my business to grow it even faster. And within six years, I was already living in my 10th year. Wow. And so okay, that's well, the power well, of a vision. But for the animal lovers listening, what, what did you do with the snakes and kangaroos when you captured oh, them? <laughs> nothing bad. Nothing bad. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for 24 years. And I, I made that decision at, at uh, seven years old because I loved animals and mm. I, you know, I'm, I'm all about animals. But 
I, we just relocated them off the land because yeah. they were doing construction, and so it was all is all safe. So don't worry yes, about that. yes, yes. I just yeah. just wanted <laughs> wanted everyone to know Joel's a really so. good good man with good values. <laughs> no, I, I didn't want to get emails being like, "What did he do with the kangaroo?" <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine that actually. Well, the other thing I wanted to highlight here is I think as kids we are so tapped into our vision, and. We know at a very young age, and we can go back and think about what we played, what we were curious about, the questions we asked. There's so much insight there. Like my favorite uh, thing to play as a kid was teacher and bank. And that really is foreshadowing because really what I do is I'm a teacher. Like that's, you know, that that's the archetype that I most that, that sums up my work. And then the bank part was just the the entrepreneurial spirit in me, like managing all that and everything. So I think that those seeds are there. And that's one of the ways to answer that question. What do you love is to go back and think, what did you love when you were a kid, you know, before life got too serious or before things happened in your family, when you go back to that time in your life where you weren't judging yourself, you weren't thinking about anything. What did you love to play? What did you love to daydream about? What did you love to do? Because I think there's so many answers in our childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of coming back to the vision, how, how specific do we need to be in order for it to be effective? Like, do we need to know exactly what we're going to be doing, how we're going to be doing it? How, how nitty gritty do we need to get? How detailed do we need to be? Such a great question. So here's the thing. When you map out your 10-year vision, you start with the 10th year. And if we want to think a little bit smaller, because some people get kind of overwhelmed with that idea of like 10-year vision, we could bring it down to a five-year vision. Okay. So let's, let's speak from a space of five. What would the ultimate version of you, which means no limits, no bars held, all the skills acquired, right, or hired, uh, what would the ultimate vision of you, ultimate version of you be doing five years from now, okay? If you had all the resources around you and within you to tap into, which you do already, by the way, uh, what would that look like? What would it feel like, which is really important? I mean, like on a cellular level to the point where you, you're visualizing it through your mind so much so that your body is already believing that it's there because your body is your unconscious mind, right? And so we're programming into a space where our mind is like, a, I call it a GGS, a goal-getting system, right? We tell it where to go and it starts going. Now, often we hear about the law of attraction, which I think is, is, is all great and good. I like to pair it with the law of intention as well. It's a law of intention of mapping it out and moving with intention. So it's not just the like, you know, like I'll write it down and call it in. It's also moving towards it. That's how you get there even faster. Uh, And so with the 10 year vision, we really map it out in a way where let's have fun in the 10th year or the fifth year, right? What that, what would it look like in the fifth year and go into this is, I'm just going to break this down, Christine. So it's easy to understand because I think it's really important to understand the process in a few different parts. So I usually start with what we call the skeleton of your vision. And the skeleton is sit down, get really excited about where you could be, like what things you'd have around you, who you'd surround yourself with, what kind of values will you be holding in that fifth year? And you write it in present tense. Okay. So write it down in dot points, start off with, and you may end up with 10, 20, 30. Some people end up with like two pages of dot points. All right. Great. 
This part here is about getting it out of your head and onto, onto some paper. Now, the next part, once you've taken a break and you've come back to it, it may even be the next day or a couple of days later, come back to it. And now we're going to start working on the meat of your vision. And the meat is uh, going into more detail. And I've actually uh, brought in this new element recently. I'm writing about it in my book. And, uh, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of successful people over the years. And what I have found is when I ask them questions, I listen very closely to what are they actually saying here? And I'd ask them about, you know, what they've been able to do in their life and how they believe they've achieved success and what are some things that they implement into their into their day-to-day uh, rituals and so on to really narrow down to what I believe is the foundational things that these successful people keep doing. And what I've narrowed it down to after hundreds of interviews is I've come up with what we call the four dimensions of success. And what it is, is it's values first and foremost. So each person I know that has achieved a high level of success on average uh, are very clear on their values in their lives. So they have their top three to top five values. That they make sure that they are implementing into their day as often as possible. Okay. That's ultimately how to reach a high level of fulfillment is to fill your day with the things that you value most. Okay. This is the values. Then we have beliefs, right? They believed so much so that they were able to achieve that success. Okay. It's not to say that they don't have limiting beliefs because we all do, but they stacked those limiting beliefs with hell yes. And the hell yes are the empowering beliefs. So ask yourself, what are you good at, right? What are you really good at? It's like, hell yeah, I'm good at this. Hell yeah, I'm great at marketing. Hell yeah, I'm great at connecting with people. Write down a list of things that are your hell yes, your empowering beliefs, and then think about five years from now, the person that you see yourself being five years from now, what kind of beliefs would you have to believe about yourself, right? And then we have habits. That's the third dimension. The habits are the energy bolts of action that we take daily consistently to reach our dreams, okay? So what kind of habits would you have to be practicing five years from now to be playing at the level that you desire to play at in the fifth version, a fifth, fifth year version of yourself, okay? And then we have skills, which I believe is one of the most overlooked, but so powerful. What kind of skills would you have to hire or acquire to be playing at that highest level there in your fifth year? So let's say if you're mapping out your vision and you say, uh, in there that you're looking at being a, a New York, uh, you will be a New York uh, Times bestseller. Uh, you will be touring around the world and speaking at 50 events a year. Then really, what kind of skills would somebody like that need? Mm. If you're not getting into the practice now and going, okay, maybe I need to go and join Toastmasters, or maybe I need to go and learn a bit about NLP, or maybe I need to go and start holding some smaller group sessions so that I become better at speaking. They are great practices to really start stepping more into that fifth year version of yourself today, not tomorrow or next week, but like really getting clear on the skills. And when I say skills, I don't just mean mechanical skills. I also mean emotional skills too. Okay. So like emotional intelligence, communication, uh, human connection, what are some of these skills that you would have to hire or acquire to be playing at that highest level? So I, I love this and everybody listening, you can hear Joel's enthusiasm And what I know to be true from my listeners (laughs) doing the show for as long as I have is that overwhelm comes up a lot when we have conversations like this. They're like, oh God, it sounds really good. Ah, like I, I," and then, and then they, and then they stop or sabotage. Um, so how do we deal? Cause I love this. I, I'm taking notes. I, I love it. I agree a thousand gazillion percent. 
And I also know it's very human for things like procrastination, overwhelm, and what's the other one I was saying? Procrastination, overwhelm, and sabotaging to come up. So how do we deal with those when they come up? Or even right now, people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, like this sounds amazing, but I don't know. I'm overwhelmed. I don't even, I couldn't even answer the first question. Well, look, that's why we start from a place of there isn't this attachment to it, right? Like people can do it in different ways. Uh, One way would be some people start with vision boards. They make it nice and fun and arty and crafty and they can cut out pictures or look pictures up or Google image and place it out on a board. And that may be for you a great starting place if you feel like writing a lot of things down is overwhelmed. The goal is to eventually write it down and then on top of that, eventually embody it to the point where I know my vision inside out. Like I can, I walk in and talk it. I'm already there. Uh, but it started out with simply putting some things down to begin with and putting this together. Just know that this is something that is an ongoing project in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I think that that's a great thing to really bring to the table, Christine, as well, is that like, we don't need to have this whole thing mapped in like two days, right? It's really a project and it's, it's a really fun project when you realize that the, you're getting this live feedback like I love checking in on my vision and so many of my clients that I coach, they come back to me. They're like, Joel, look, look what I've done on my vision so far. And they share and they're so excited. I have people right now that are living in their third year and they, they casted their vision a year ago. Mm. They're already three years into their vision or four years into their vision. So it's really powerful stuff, but it, it does require your attention. It requires your time, especially in the initial stages. It will, you know, I, I broke down the skeleton piece, we had the meat piece. And then on top of that is the skin to create the body of the vision. And so the skin piece is just going into finer detail, which is coming back and really tweaking and it's getting specific on numbers. So if you say that you want to run a, uh, that you, you will, or you are running in the present tense, sorry, is R, I am, I am running a, let's say a, a successful six figure company, then how much exactly will you be? bringing in how much of a percentage of that will you be breaking off to go to charity or foundations Mm. uh how many employees will you have so getting more specific with numbers but that doesn't have to come in until you got to the skin part of your your vision some of my clients do that a week or a month later uh after casting their vision out but what happens is it's crazy i'd love for you to put it in the practice and see what shows up you start moving through life with way more clarity and direction. And yep. that's power right there. Instead of like unconsciously floating through life. I remember, Christine, you were saying that we, what, 5% new thoughts mm-hmm. per yep. day. Imagine yeah. if you were more intentional, you would double your impact, double your income, double your connections, have more powerful relationships. It changes the game. Yeah, it really does. And I think of the four, the values, beliefs, habits, and skills, the beliefs and habits, that's so where it's at in so many ways. Because if your beliefs, like you said, we all have our limiting beliefs, but we need to be aware that they're limiting when they come up and go, oh, that's 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 me trying to sabotage myself. That's fear speaking. You know, one of the most common limiting beliefs that I see people have is I'm not enough. Like I'm not good enough. And whenever I'm speaking at an event and someone says that, I say, all right, well, line up everybody in this room and assign them a number one to 10 on enoughness. And their response is always, well, I couldn't, like they're all tens. And I say, well, why are you so special then? (laughs) Like, why is everybody else 10, but you're not? And so 
we might that that belief may come up, but be aware that it's limiting because yeah. That to me is huge. When we can shift our beliefs and then support that by the habits, then doing things that we value every day and acquiring the skills becomes a lot easier because we get out of our own way when we are aware of the beliefs that are limiting and we consciously shift them, not just through our thought, but through our habits and through our behavior. And it's, it's, it's making the choice. It's making the choice every day. I mean, you choose this every day. You, you choose your vision yes. every single day. And can you speak about um, maybe one of something recent that was particularly challenging for you where you really had to lean into your intention and your connection and your commitment to your vision, even though there might have yeah. been a part of you that was like, ugh, screw it. <laughs> I just want to give up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a great question, Christine. I'm happy you asked because part of stepping into your vision is also shifting your identity. Okay. When I casted my 10 year vision eight years ago, I was living in an identity that at the time, like looking back, I felt if I was to view it in my eyes now, I'd say I had a bit of a limited identity and, and, and perspective. Um, but that's because I was operating from my mindset at that very point in time. And I'll probably look back 10 years from now and say the same thing about where I'm at today. Mm. <laughs> right. So we're continuing to grow. So I, I understand that and give room to that. Uh, but I mapped out in my 10 year vision eight years ago that I would be living in Santa Monica, which I actually did achieve a couple of years ago. Uh, I didn't uh, crystallize that and stay in that space. I had a great experience in Santa Monica and I've just decided that that's not where I want to be now as time has moved on and I've experienced new things. Uh, but I also had in there because I was married, uh, three and a half years ago mm -hmm. and my, uh, ex-wife, uh, had an affair when we were in this relationship. We we're literally four months married and I found out she had an affair and, and, and you know, we, we sat in it and had to have a good conversation around all of it, obviously. And it was crazy in that moment when I found out and I like, I had people coming to us that were like, we want relationship advice from you. You're the perfect couple. And, and we were looking at putting a relationship course together. And I saw myself as Mr. Success as in successful friendships, successful business, successful marketer, successful relationship. And then when that was shattered in that sense, I was like, wow, I was questioning my own identity. And I was like, what am I going to do? This is not even my identity anymore. Mm -hmm. So even I had to go through this process of like, wow, it's not it like it happened for me, not to me. Uh, and I had to shift from response uh, from from this blame to responsibility as well in the relationship, which mm -hmm. took me, to be honest, a good year or so to really move to a space of that. And I even to this day, still fragments, little fractures here and there I notice show up. And I'm going, wow, okay, I need to make sure that I'm in my responsibility too. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that was a big thing. And obviously in that process, I fine-tuned my vision. I, I changed some things in there. My partner at that time wasn't in there anymore, mm -hmm. you know, when we moved on from that relationship. So, yeah, the, you know, things are going to happen. There's curveballs uh, and things that show up. And, and sometimes it's going to catch you on the blind side, that yeah. certain things in life. So. That's the thing about the vision. It's not hard set in the concrete. It's it's a line in the sand and we get to write out what we want there and have fun with it. The key is to really have fun. What could you create? Yeah, it's a compass. Um, so 
Mm-hmm. Going back to something you said, because I think this is so important, again, that victim to victor, how did you shift from blame to responsibility, especially in a situation where it's easy to go, wait, I got cheated on. You know, I'm, I'm the victim in this situation. How are you able to make that switch? Well, I think it's easy to blame someone else. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, what's well, that their fault? Um, it, this happened because of that person. But it, what happens is like, I got so sick of living in a disempowering state. I actually had to feel that disempowerment for quite a while and and everything's touching everything. So I knew it was affecting my business. I knew it was affecting uh, my, I guess my vulnerability and openness to connect with new people. And I reached a place of like, man, I'm so sick of this disempowering place I'm living in by handing all the power over to this experience that happened. And yeah, it's like disappointing when things like that happen, but uh, I had to then, I sat down and wrote out, first I wrote out things in the relationship that I felt I could have improved on because we're not, none of us are perfect. So I wrote that out and got clear on like how, where I could take responsibility. And then I actually met with her and forgave her and forgiveness was like that, oh man, that practice mm-hmm. of forgiveness life-changing in so many ways. And I even look at it now, like I have you know, little issues that pop up here and there in my life with business and, you know, events and family. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't rock me like it ever used to, because I know what I've worked my way through. I know that what I've been able to go through. And in these times where if you're listening right now, you felt something similar, you know, in relationships or even in life, we get to go through the pain the resentment, the um, the jealousy, the sadness, we get to go through that. We can't bypass it. You can't go around it or under it or over it. You, you have to go through it. Uh, and I had, that's what I had to learn. You know, I had to go through it whether I liked it or not. <laughs> and I, and I, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely had to go through that with my divorce too. There was no, there's no bypassing it. That's for sure. And it definitely something like that. It throws you because even with a marriage, you form a vision with a marriage because you think that's a forever and it's part of your vision. And like you said, the vision is a compass and it has to be adjusted. You know, I definitely had to adjust my vision after a divorce because my life dramatically changed. And so I, I love how you're holding this as something that is is directional and is important and that we're committed to, but we're not rigid with it because we're co-creators, right? Life, yes. Th- there's yes. there's what we know, and then there's the unexpected curveballs and blessings that can come into our life that can point us a different direction. But I think at at the essence, how we want to serve and how we want to show up in the world that that stays the same. Which brings mm-hmm. me to my probably one of my final questions because we're coming on time here is. So how do you, I hear how important vision is and how important it is to you. How do you, or do you separate your vision from your identity? Is who you are your vision or is who you are separate from your vision? Oh, I love this, Christine. You're amazing. (laughs) This question is so good. And the reason why it's so good is because I think that this is the part that gets overlooked so often when it comes to all of this. And it's, and it doesn't even necessarily have to even be vision. It can just be with what you're looking at achieving in your life right now, wherever you're at, even if you haven't casted your vision, it, what's more important is who you are becoming, who you can become rather than who you currently are. So I operate a lot out of creation because I feel like so many people are, are operating out of destruction. Yeah. 
and and they're struggling. They're like dancing between the two. They're like just surviving instead of thriving. And so I bring it back to, okay, I get that this is going on and we get to work through that. You get to work through that and I can support you. What would you love to create? Mm. What do you really want in your life? You know, because I believe like over and over again, I've had this, these results show up and I see, and I'm like, man, I had an opportunity to create that. Yeah. You know, and I make room for God too. You know, I make room for like the miracles to come in to play and things that are we just don't expect. That's that's amazing. That's what keeps life interesting. Uh, but it is so interesting when you set out to create something and you actually see uh, uh, something that you've manifested just be fulfilled. And so that's a fun place to operate out of. And I, I quite often am bringing myself back to creation. We can focus on all the crappy stuff. That's easy. But they're like, what could I create? That's fun. Mm. I'd rather fun than just easy because easy gets boring over time, but I want fun. Yeah, it does. Easy does get boring over time and then it becomes not easy because you struggle because you're bored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And, and that's the thing is when you can, I think one of the things that has been so valid, I don't have kids of my own yet, but I have three nephews and just watching, being in their lives and watching them grow up. One of the things that I've learned the most is how to be curious again. Like your question about Michael Jordan and your mom, like props to mom, the way she handled that. She didn't just answer you. She said, oh, let's let's have a look at a book and discover it. But that sense of curiosity, being curious about how your vision is going to unfold, be curious about how you're going to get the skills. Because I think as grownups, we lose curiosity and things just become a burden. They become hard. They become work. Versus if we can have that sense of wonderment and curiosity, even curiosity about how our vision's going to unfold. Like we're going to do our part and take the steps and have the values and beliefs and habits and skills, but also be curious to the timing of it and the exact way it's going to look. And the way I see my vision or my purpose is it's an expression of who I am. It's not my identity, but yep. it's an expression of my gifts and and who I am and how I want to not only contribute to the world, but how I want to experience life. You know, like, yeah, I, I love making a difference in people's lives, but selfishly, I love what I do. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I get a lot. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I get a lot of joy out of it. And so, you know, this, all this talk about vision, it's, I think, important to be altruistic and thinking about impact, but allow yourself to be a little selfish or self-honoring and, and know that you're deserving of doing something that you really like. And that's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for just breaking this down because I think vision and purpose, like you said in the beginning, it's a big concept, but to have these questions and to have these elements of it, this is super, super helpful. So, so thank you so much for this. Um, Anything else that you want people to know that may be asking this question, you know, what is my purpose or how do I move forward on their vision? No, I think that at the end of the day, a lot of people avoid the whole putting the pen to pad Mm -hmm. and really making that mind-body connection and writing it out and then really sitting with it and embodying it. And it's such an important exercise, it's paramount to improving your life. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I tried to avoid the schoolwork, the homework, the, anything that required writing things that I didn't want a part of it because it reminded me of school. Uh, but when I 
placed bets on myself and wrote this vision out, my whole world changed. Mm. And not just my world changed, my family around me. Uh, you know, I helped my parents pay off their house. Uh, my, you know, my friendship circles, everything changed. The people I get to uh, work with and support, it all changed. Yeah. And it's because I placed bets on myself and took the time to write it out. And if there was anything I could leave with you, please sit down with it and place bets on yourself. And just remember, if you doubted your fears, instead of doubting your dreams, just imagine how much in life you would accomplish. Beautiful. So much. Beautiful. Ah. Oh. Such good mm. stuff, Joel. I know people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to learn more from you. Tell us about where they can find that. Tell us about the movie that you were in, The Think and Grow Rich. Tell us everything, <laughs> all the things. <laughs> Beautiful. So you can find me at I am Joel Brown, J-O-E-L-B-R-O-W-N on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm on there most of the time uh, on social when I'm on there, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can go to addicted to success.com addicted, the number two success.com. Uh, that's a self-development motivation, inspiration website. We've reached 143 million views worldwide. Wow. And I love our community. Like our community is so into uh, squeezing the juice out of life. Uh, and so if you want to be part of that community, jump in there. And I send out a lot of emails and I share my strategies around how I built a successful business online, how I market. I, I have my own podcast, the Addicted to Success podcast uh, as well. So yeah, it's all there online. Check it out. Reach out to me. I'm accessible. I like to make myself accessible because I truly love serving and connecting with others. And I love hearing other people's stories. Like that's like, honestly, like a lot of what I teach comes from a lot of what uh, I've heard from other students that share my stories and other people that I come across. So we can all learn from each other. I haven't got all the answers. Christine doesn't, as amazing as she is. <laughs> we are still students sitting in the student chair right now. Totally. So let's all connect and, and make magic happen. Totally. Uh, last question for you. If you could go uh -huh. back and tell that seven-year-old who watched that movie, what was it, Space Jam? Space Jam. Yeah. If you could go back and give him one message or tell him one thing or ask him one question, whatever. What, what would you say? Oh, you hit me with the deep question. I got you on my podcast and you hit me with this one. I like this. I would say, Hey, little legend. <laughs> <laughs> you never ended up playing basketball, but that's totally okay because everything that you learned along the way set you up to play at an even higher level for you to step into your purpose and to own your truth and who you are. And you're going to hit some bumps along the way, but know that this is 31 year old me telling you that you're still alive. So live life all out with no regrets. I love That's it. What I'd say. I love <laughs> it. And you did tell me offline that you are putting a basketball hoop in your current place. So he does get to play <laughs> basketball, just not professionally, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then I'm not the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm okay. Rusty. I'm rusty. It's all good. As it's long as you have hey, fun. Yeah. Exactly. It's all about fun and creation. Get out there and, and you know, ask yourself, what could I create today? It's mm. a really powerful question to ask yourself. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And even if it's a smile on someone's face, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Joel. Thank you, Christine. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. I have another podcast one show that could be fun for you to check out. It's Shenanigans with Shanae Shea. 
She's everyone's favorite from Vanderpump Rules and it airs every Wednesday on Podcast One and she shares juicy stories from behind the bar with amazing guests like Jasmine Good, Southern Charm, Shep Rose, and so many more. Check it out now at Podcast One. Also remember to rate and view shows that you love like this one. So if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your True Car price is the best price? Well, because True Car shows you what other people People paid for that same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. All right, everybody, that's our show for today. Until next time, much love and many blessings. Bye.